I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to the letter to the Ephesians. The letter of Ephesians, we um, are picking back up where we left off last year. Our text this morning is going to come from Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. Uh, I'm also going to read through a portion of chapter 4 as well, so that you can see the, the bigger context of what Paul is doing in writing to the Ephesians. The title uh, of the sermon this morning is The Heavenly Perspective, Your Heavenly Identity. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Down to chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you in your word, We ask that you would bless us through your word today. Renew in us, Lord, what it means to be your people, what it means to share in the life and love and mission of the triune God. And Lord, we pray that by your grace we would learn to reorient and to define ourselves over and over again more consistently according to this amazing, essential, and fundamental reality of what it means to be your people, to be in Christ. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin our look uh, here in Ephesians, um, we're going to once again look at the, uh, the introduction and then begin to look at the longest sentence in the Bible. Uh, a conservative um, approach will say that from uh, verse 3 to the end of verse 14 is one sentence. Um, some, however, have suggested that the sentence actually doesn't even end there. Um, the way that the Greek manuscripts were originally given to the church as they were written was um, they wrote in capitals and they did not provide spaces or punctuation. Now, 
that seems weird to us, but that's how they did things. And so guess what? It wasn't weird to them. Um, they were able to discern in the way that they wrote and the way that they read where these major breaks were. For us, it's a, it's a little more difficult, but not wanting to get hung up on the grammar in the syntax, what Paul is doing here from my not-so-humble opinion is he is just gushing about what it means to be loved by God, to be called by Christ, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. In the unfolding of verses 3 through 14, there is this gushing of Paul as he goes from one thought to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, as he is gushing about the work of God the Father, people, and the privileges and the responsibilities that flow from that. Paul, we, we noted here from the very beginning as he identifies his apostleship as coming from Christ and as he is writing to what he calls the saints in Ephesus last week, we noted that just in these first two verses when you know the history of the ministry of Paul in, uh, the, in the city of Ephesus, the, the, he, is, he is summarizing some amazing and powerful realities. A mixture that we noted of hope and humility. A hope and humility that we see in the life of Paul as Paul was the Taliban of his day persecuting Christ, persecuting Christians. And yet the hope that we see is that Christ comes to Paul and completely changes him and turns him not just into a follower, but he turns in him into his primary voice to the Gentiles. And Paul, in, in being changed, the name from Saul to Paul shows the humility that Paul embraced as he let go of his own righteousness as a Pharisee of Pharisees according to the law and embraced the righteousness of Jesus Christ by letting go of his efforts, letting go of his righteousness, which he finally was able to see was paltry and insufficient. And he embraced the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. And what this did was not just create a powerful change in Paul's life and a powerful new calling in terms of vocation. It led him to experience God in these powerful ways as he opened himself up to be used by God in the lives of other sinners. And what took place in Ephesus was no less remarkable than what had taken place in Paul's own life. As the city of Ephesus was a city that was known for sin and for debauchery. It was known for the worship of many gods, including the goddess Diana or Artemis, where they had one of the seven wonders of the world there in Ephesus, in, in, this, in this sanctuary that was dedicated to her. The people there were entrenched in immorality. They were entrenched in an immorality that was combined to their worship, 
to be a faithful worshiper to the pagan gods included immorality. They were wealthy. They were politically powerful. They were a hub of knowledge and education. They had one of the largest libraries, ancient libraries outside of Alexandria. By the way, you can get on YouTube and you can watch videos that show those structures still today, as many of the edifices are still there for you to see. And you can see the, 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 the Colosseum. You can see the, the edifice of the library. You can get on there and you can see those things are still here. They have fallen apart, but they're still there. You can see them. This Ephesus was this center of money, power, debauchery, false worship. And when Christ was preached, when Christ was simply but yet powerfully preached, Christ, through his spirit, took people out of death and brought them into life, into the kingdom of the beloved son. And he did so in a powerful expression of repentance and a changed life. Where people, there were so many people that came to know Christ that were entrenched in the magic arts that what they did in their repentance was they burned all the literature that they used for those pagan practices and the, the, the value of what was burned up was 50,000 silver pieces. That's repentance. That's not, I'll add Jesus to what I'm doing. That is, I'm going to completely reorganize myself according to who I am in Jesus. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And they gave up wealth to follow Christ. They gave up a political voice to follow Christ. As the repentance of the people was so powerful in that day that they stopped buying the little silver idols uh, to Diana or Artemis. There was such repentance there that the silversmiths were losing their jobs because no one would buy what they were making. And what happened was they, they got the city up in an uproar. They, they took the, the, um, some of the Christian leaders into that Colosseum that you can see today. And they chanted for hours, great is the goddess of uh, Artemis of Ephesus. And they chanted it over and over and over. And in bloodlust, they wanted to kill those who were encroaching upon the life and culture of Ephesus. This is powerful stuff. But is that enough? Is it enough to have a powerful encounter with Christ where you embrace through humility the hope of that Christ and you completely change your life and turn it upside down for him where you let go of sin where you are striving to put sin to death 
where you are striving to live for righteousness, where you will put your life on the line to proclaim Christ to those who need him. Is that enough to have just that powerful experience in the past? And the answer is no. It's awesome, but it's not enough. What this church now needs, as Paul is writing just a few years after all of that uh, transpired, what he needs to do is help this group that, yes, have experienced these, uh, these amazing and powerful uh, experiences and embodiments of the life of Christ. And they need to be formed and founded upon God's fuller truth so that they can mature, so that they can grow, so that they can, as he says later in the letter, grow up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. They need to grow. It is not enough, beloved, to just rest on the salvation experience that you have with Christ. You, from that experience, are now called and gifted to grow and to be formed more and more into the Christ that you are already counted to be by faith. Ecclesiastes provided us the wisdom that we need from below, from the realities of living in a world that is cursed, from the reality of the certainty that life in a cursed world will not always make sense, and that death is a certain reality that is indeed coming and cannot be escaped. And there was wisdom in being able to acknowledge those things because God does not expect us to be silly and naive, even though quite often we can act that way as believers. He expects us to understand how things are, even in the darkness of what they are, so that we do not get defined by those things. And the wisdom that Solomon offered us was that wisdom of the cross, that wisdom that comes from death, that wisdom that embraces the realities of things because of a trust that the sovereign God is over all of it and he is working all of it according to his power and to his presence and to his plans. What Ephesians does is now show us in greater detail what God was already doing within the day of Solomon that was not fully revealed, that now gets fully revealed through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And where Solomon said there is nothing new under the sun, and where he was accurate in saying that prior to Christ, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is now something new under the sun. Because the Son of God has come from the heavenly places. He has accomplished the will of his heavenly Father. And he has been exalted back to the heavenly places. And now he provides his people who share in his heavenly existence and identity and calling. He provides us the wisdom that comes from above.
How does one grow strong as a disciple of Jesus Christ living in Vanity Fair? Well, that's what Paul is going to tell us. It's not enough to get started. It is essential to grow. And Paul is going to give us what we need to grow as God's people. And at the heart of what we need, beloved, is we need a specific perspective. We need a specific orientation. And the perspective and orientation we need is the Christ of the heavenly places. Because, as we are told here in verse 3, in Christ, God has not only granted us his grace and his peace, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places. Now, guess what? In the Greek, you know what it really means? That in Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It really means that. And I know every one of you is struggling to believe that. Or at least, then I'm the only one. It's too good to be true, right? What is it that tempts you to think that it can't be true? Your daily experiences. Your daily experiences of you interacting with your own heart. This can't be true of me. I know what I say to myself when I'm alone in private. I know the way that I still condemn myself. I know the way that I shame myself. I know the way that I take past mistakes that I've done and I replay them over and over in my heart because I won't let go of them because I'm defining myself by those things. I know the sins that others have, have committed against me and I replay them in my heart over and over and over because I'm not going to let go of them because for some reason I'm choosing to use those things to define myself and my existence in this world. Whether it's your own sin or the sin of others, every one of us, we wrestle with it in our hearts. And what we tend to do is define our existence by those things. You and I still wrestle with the sin in the world. You and I still wrestle with the sin in others. In fact, how much easier is it for you to see, to touch, to smell, to hear things of the sinful world. And I don't mean by that that you're embracing sin. What I'm saying is that you're experiencing it. Where you see, where you hear, where you touch, where you, where you experience sin, the fallenness of the cursed world that we still live in. See, that's the easy thing to embrace. But the greater reality that defines who we are as God's people is the new thing under the sun that has taken place in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
for the resurrection of Jesus establishes the conditions in which we now live and mature in the Christian life and bear witness to his ongoing aliveness. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has not only restructured Jesus' own life in going from death to life, it has restructured history, it has restructured your existence in history. There is now something new. The resurrection of Christ that has taken place for us and our resurrection in Christ that has taken place in us. You see, Paul, as called by Christ to be an apostle, is one who was serving as an authoritative witness of the risen Christ. Paul did not sit under the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. As far as we know, Paul did not interact with Jesus while Jesus was still in his earthly ministry. The interaction that, Jesus, that Paul had with Jesus was with the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. As his eyes were, were, made, were, were unveiled so that he could see the heavenly Christ that was there before him, calling him out of darkness and into light, calling him out of the death of earthly existence and the curse into the new life of a shared part of the resurrection of Jesus. What Paul witnessed was the resurrected Christ. What he heard was the resurrected Christ. What he received was the resurrected Christ. And in receiving this, he now had a participation in the resurrected Christ and was set forth by the resurrected Christ to serve as a witness to the resurrected Christ through the practice of the resurrected Christ. In other words, all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places in Christ. What that means, beloved, is that you're no longer dead in your sin and trespasses. But as he will unfold in chapter 2, you have been made alive. You have been raised up. You have been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. This is not pie-in-the-sky religiosity. This is not the woman that Johnny Cash sings about that is so heavenly-minded that she is of no earthly good. You can always trust in Johnny. What is being unfolded here is that your earthly existence is no longer ultimately defining of who you are, even though you still experience life in a cursed world. Because the realities of the world to come are realities that you have already tasted of and are partaking in through your union with Christ. And what Paul will gush about for 14 verses on stop is how amazing it is that you are united to Christ. Where he will use the phrase, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. Over and over and over again. 
To receive all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places in Christ is to experience life outside of the realm of death and to now embrace life in the realm of the new creation. It is to experience life in the new creation. It is to embrace life in the new creation. It is to embody life in the new creation. It is to express the life of the new creation. The resurrected life that Jesus himself experiences, that he enjoys as he is exalted to the right hand of his Father, and where now he, through Paul, through me, says to you grace and peace. Beloved, this is the grace, and this is the peace that is enjoyed within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As I have said in other places and continue to reiterate, to be in Christ is to have a share. It is to, to, to have a shared life, a shared love, and a shared mission with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul experienced and bore witness to the resurrected Christ. But so did the saints in Ephesus. They went from dead in their sins to alive in Christ. They went from a physical birth that brought them into a cursed world as those under the curse to a spiritual birth where they were born from above, as Jesus told Nicodemus where they were reborn in Christ, where they were born of the heavenly places, where they were no longer born under a curse, but they were now born under the blessings that the Son of God had earned for himself and for all those whom he would represent. The resurrection is an invitation. The resurrection is an empowerment to live out eternity within time. Let that sit upon you. To be blessed in Christ with all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places is to be empowered to live out and bear witness to that new life here within the realm in which the curse is still holding fast. They are saints, not because they are perfect, they are saints because they have been reckoned perfect in Jesus Christ. They have gone from birth to new birth. They have come alive in Jesus Christ. They have become alive to God. Where they were dead to him, where they were in rebellion against him, where they hated him, they are now alive to him. They are alive to his existence. They are alive uh, to his love. They are alive to his life, to his mission, to his holiness, to his will, to his kingdom, to his power, and to his glory. They are alive to these things to which they were dead to before. And this, beloved, is what Christian formation is all about. 
is coming to understand and to embrace and to experience and to embody and to express and to extend what it means to have been made alive to God and to grow up in Christ to the maturity of to the fullness up to the faith in him. And look, what it means for you to have been blessed with all those spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places, what it means is this, where you and I are tempted on a daily basis to think that there is something that we don't have, that we need to have in order to be more faithful to Christ, you are lying to yourself. Because guess what? You have been blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Not some, all. There is not one spiritual blessing that exists that you don't already have in Christ. Growing in Christ is growing to receive that by faith more and more and more so that you will take the blessings that you have that are empowerment for you to live out eternity now and you will begin to live out eternity more and more and more now. Birth is quick, but growth takes time. Birth, now I know some of the women are going to disagree with me. It's quick. It's, I've been told that it's agonizing. But when that, when that child comes, it's like you forget what happened until it becomes convenient to remind your child in order to get them to do something. But... That prize that you have, that life that you have, it's like that pain went away, right? Does the pain of parenting go away? You see, the birth is relatively quick, but the parenting is ongoing and never ends. You see, birth is, is somewhat quick, but growth is slow. It is difficult. And the conditions of growth are not the things that we normally like to embrace and celebrate. To grow means to embrace the pain of growing, the growth pains. To grow, it means that you learn to love not just that little infant that is sitting there totally dependent on you and hasn't broken your heart yet, but loving it after it has. Loving when it whines, cries, defies you, right? That's love, but it's painful. The conditions of birth are relatively quick. The conditions of growth are slow and they are painful. We cannot control the circumstances of growth. 
Growth is marked by fatigue, anxiety, confused decisions, mistakes, being out of control, but also they involve joy and gladness and blessing. And your growth in Christ as those who still live in a world that is still cursed, as those who live in the vanity fair of cultures here on earth, your growth is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It is not always going to be marked by these miraculous, powerful times of repentance where, where you see Christ and you just, you're like, oh, I'm all in, and you start giving up sin, and, you, and you're moving forward. If you are young here today, go around and find some of our more seasoned believers and ask them if that has been their experience every day as they have grown in Jesus. Or if their growth has been marked by pain, by tears, by sweat that leads to a greater experience and embracing and embodiment and extending of the joy and the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Where the grace and peace that gets you started is the grace and peace that sustains you along the way so that in your growth in Christ, you never go beyond the gospel. You just go deeper and deeper and deeper into that gospel. And that's what Paul's going to unfold for us. The depths and the heights of the amazing truth of God in Christ and what it means for us to have been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenlies, having received all the spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places. When I first went to my first call, there had been a really, really difficult situation that had unfolded months before I arrived. Where a woman who had been abused by her husband, um, who had looked for the church to help and had not received that help, decided to divorce her husband. He was by nature very gregarious very happy, very easy, go lucky. He was very pleasant, even though he was abusive. She, by nature, was prickly and difficult, even though she was the one being abused. And through the, the mistakes that were made there by the church, she was left to make a decision on her own. And as a result, she was experiencing a very difficult existence because the session had not made a clear statement to the congregation of who was right and who was wrong. And the result was that because no one really knew what was going on, it was never clearly established what his relationship to the church should be understood to be. And so he was not called to repentance. And because he was so easy to get along with, guess who ended up being invited over to Sunday dinners? And because she was prickly by nature, but now very prickly because of the way she had been sinned against, guess who was not being invited? Guess who was not 
you know, getting fellowship. The innocent party. When I first arrived and I heard about that situation, I had the associate pastor arrange a meeting. She was no longer at the church. But I had the associate pastor arrange a meeting with her. And at first she didn't want to do it. She thought I was going to call her in and bless her out because she had divorced her husband and left the church. So I had the associate run the meeting and I just observed and listened. And as he was asking her about how she was doing and, and, and what was going on in her life and the seething was just flowing out of her and the anger and the bitterness what I kept hearing from her over and over and over in different ways was her basically saying, if things were just different, then I wouldn't have these struggles. And so when I finally broke into the conversation, I asked her, I said, I said help me understand. What do you think you don't have that if you had that one thing, your existence right now could be different. That you could let go of the pain, that you could let go of the effects of the abuse, that, that you could redefine your daily existence so that it was no longer being defined by the sin that happened to you. What is that one thing? And she stopped and she honestly interacted and she and eventually said, I have no idea but I know it's got to be something. We turn to Ephesians 1.3. And I said, read the verse out loud. And she read it out loud. And I asked her again, what is it that you don't have that if you did have, you could be free from your pain, from the effects of the abuse, and that you could move forward and she looked at it, and she just wept. And she said, there's nothing I lack. According to this, if this is true, I already have what I need. And I said, what do you need to do then? She said, I've got I to actually believe this. And her life changed that day. And she started developing the freedom that she already possessed in Christ. The freedom from her own sin, but also the freedom of the effects of the sins of others against her. And was able to embrace more and more and started to define herself more and more, not by her earthly existence, not by her earthly pain, not by her earthly struggles, not by the sins of others against her. She started defining herself more and more and more as one who possessed all the spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places. Beloved, this is the orientation that Paul sets before you from the very beginning of this letter so that as he unfolds the details, the details are held by this amazing reality that he's just giving us the details of this statement. That in Christ, you already possess 
all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. What you're called to do is embrace this and to embrace it today and to embrace it tomorrow and to embrace it the next day and the next day. And when that next challenge comes, whether that challenge comes from sin within your own heart, whether that challenge comes because of the effects of sin in your body as you, you, you get the diagnosis of cancer or you get the diagnosis of COVID, right? Or whether it's sins from a relationship that you have or sins from your boss or sins from a broken world as we watch death continuing to unfold all around us, that whatever that challenge is, your immediate response, your intuited response comes to be in Christ, I am experiencing this thing as one who already has all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places. And it is that heavenly orientation, it is that heavenly identity, beloved, that will become for you the circumstances by which you are experiencing this life. Now the thing is, that truth is already the circumstance. The question is, are you cultivating that perspective in your daily living and following of Jesus Christ? Beloved, we are to grow up in Christ, to grow up in our understanding, to grow up in our participation, and to grow up in our practice of the resurrection of Jesus Christ receiving resurrection, the, the witness of the resurrected Christ, accepting a resurrection born from above identity in our baptism, embracing a resurrection formation in the eating and drinking from the table of the new creation in Christ, giving attentive reading and obedience to the life-filled revelation of God in Scripture. Prayer that is, med that is mediated through the resurrected high priest that cultivates an intimacy with the realities that Jesus prays for us. Embodying resurrection life and peace through the confession of our sins and embracing over and over and over the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. Manifesting the life of the world to come in the way that we welcome the stranger and the outcast as we pursue sanctity as we pursue truth as we pursue beauty in Christ when we practice the resurrection life we continuously enter into more than who we continuously enter into more than of of who we are keeping company with Jesus from glory unto glory when we practice the resurrection life, we continuously enter in to the more of what we already are in Christ today. Beloved, this is a calling and this is a privilege to experience, to embrace, to embody, and to extend eternal life in the world that is still ensconced 
and the curse of death. This is what is true. And you have to cultivate this within your life. So as we approach the book of Ephesians, as we approach the letter to the Ephesians, keep in mind that what we are looking at is the truth of who we are so that we know how to live out who we are in this world. Beloved, in Christ, we have a shared life, a shared love, and a shared mission in the peacemaking Christ, by which we have received grace and peace, and which we now embody a grace and peace to a world that desperately needs the hope of Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Earthly life tends to rob us of the imagination of faith that we need to see beyond the concrete, to see beyond the daily experience, to do more than to simply feel what happens to us in this world. And what we need, Lord, is the help of the Spirit to cultivate within us the greater realities that we possess in Christ. And so, Lord, teach us to consciously receive day after day the realities of our baptism into Christ. And help us every day, Lord, to live as those who have tasted and seen that you are good as we have received you in the bread and in the cup of the Lord's Supper. And, Father, as you have set a place for us at your table, even amongst our enemies. May we sit there and may we uh, invite our enemies to sup with us by receiving Christ. Lord, it becomes so easy right now in our polemical society to, to want to join onto the bandwagon of, of condemning our enemies. But Lord, we thank you that that's not the way you have approached us. That while we were yet your enemies, Christ died for us. And so Lord, may we, as we enjoy the, the grace and peace of the, of the dying and rising Son of God, Father, may we strive to embody that reality in everything that we, that we go about doing, whether it is our work, our family life, whether it is church life, whatever it may be, Lord, may we cultivate the realities of the heavenly places and define ourselves as those who are full rather than in the ways in which we tend to preoccupy ourselves with what we think we lack. Father, fill us with yourself, and may we, be satisfied to the depths of the longings of our renewed hearts in Christ. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.